You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. We're on to pillar number four today, unpacking the church that I see, the church that hopefully we will all see uh, in our heart, but also in reality, we will eventually begin to see it. And uh, if you're visiting today or you're with us for the first time, uh, those CDs for the last uh, three sessions are available downstairs. The first one I unpacked was I see a church hungry for God. And then the next one was I see a church that loves the Bible, the word of God. And then last week we unpacked, I see a church with a, uh, that are unified with an unshakable love for one another. And today we're looking at number four. I see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. And I, I want you to come with me in your Bible to Luke chapter four, verse 14. Luke chapter four, verse 14 in the New Living Translation says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the time of the Lord's favor upon the earth, upon the planet, has truly, truly come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He was speaking about himself. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, when God announced the curse that was about to be ushered in on the earth, I, I believe, in essence, what he was saying was that because of what you've done, Adam, because of your action, because of your disobedience, because you didn't follow my word, from here on in, life is going to be difficult. From here on in, life will be filled with pain. It will be filled with frustration. It will be filled with, with setbacks and disappointments. Things that are absolutely foreign to what you have known to this present point in time. I believe that the Lord announced that curse with tears rolling down his face. He could see in his in his foreknowledge, he could see the pain that would be compounded, that would increase, that would unfold from one generation to the next. He, he knew that initially it wouldn't be that hard, but as life went on, he could foresee the wars, the conflicts, the, the uh, rising up of people against people, and he could see the woundedness to the human soul that would eventually wreak havoc across the planet. I believe that when he announced the curse, he was in essence saying that from here on in, relationships are going to be marked by distrust. They're going to be marked by suspicion. They'll be characterized by conflict and misunderstanding. And they'll be driven by self-centered attitudes rather than a genuine caring for 
other people. From here on in, he was basically saying that you will face disappointment. Again, a foreign thing to them. They'd never experienced to that point in their life. You will face disappointment in marriage. You'll face disappointment in your family. Disappointment in the workplace. Disappointment even in the house of God. Even in the church, you will face disappointment and letdown. From here on in, genuine openness and transparency will be blocked by self-preservation, by mask wearing. It'll be blocked by a, a desire to protect yourself from others around you. It won't be open, transparent friendship and trust like you've experienced in the Garden of Eden. I, I can honestly believe without any doubt that when the Lord announced this, he was weeping because he could see the pain that mankind was about to embark on. He could see that loneliness and depression and fear and anxiety and all of those kinds of emotional issues would plague the human mind and the human heart and would cause so much grief and so much sickness in the inner man that it actually broke his heart. In such an environment like that, it's an environment that's devoid of the life of God. It's devoid of the love of God, the presence of God. Because you see, when God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he cut off the way to the tree of life. And those of you who have been around long enough and you've began to get into the word of God, you begin to learn that Jesus is actually the tree of life. And he cut off the way to the tree of life. And when you don't have access to the tree of life, the tree of hope, the tree of the blessing and the flow of God's goodness in your life, then, then all of these things will naturally happen. Life begins to take a downward spiral, not an upward growth trend. But you know, he had tears in his eyes when he realized that we would succumb eventually to personality disorders. We would succumb eventually to illnesses and sicknesses of the soul and the inner man. And we would incubate and foster all kinds of emotional issues. That, that's why the planet is like it is today. That's why there is so much anger, why there is so much pain, why there is so much fear, why there is so much distrust and disloyalty and, and you know, the violence that sweeps not only where we see country fighting against country, but it happens on our own streets. It happens in homes just near where you live. It's, it's called domestic violence. It's driven by this life that is devoid of God. And the more life goes on, the more the levels of brokenness increase. The more the levels of pain and problems increase in our society and in our community. It's a life that will continue to get worse because as I've, I've said, even in this series already, that the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Life is actually going to get worse. You know, many of you know that Margot is uh, doing some chaplaincy work, has done now for a couple of years in a rather large organization that only has an outlet in our city. It's, it's, uh, it's bigger than our city. It's not a local organization. It's a statewide organization and has a huge outlet in our city. And there's some uh, quite high-flying CEO executives that uh, hold huge responsibilities 
suit wearers, people that drive flashy cars, people that uh, seemingly have life all together and appear to be successful. When Margot was first offered the position to be a chaplain in the organisation, she was invited to go in one morning and meet with the big guns in a boardroom. And the chief officer there, whatever his title was, invited her in and everybody sitting around a big board table and nobody was looking. They were doodling, they were disinterested. And Margot walked into this atmosphere of feeling like they are not wanting to hear anything I've got to say. What has this woman got to offer us? And uh, in that moment, all she could do was shoot a prayer to heaven and say, Holy Spirit, you've got to help me here. The big gun got up and introduced Margot and said, look, just before we get underway with our day, I want to introduce Margot. Margot was a chaplain. She's an ordained chaplain and she's uh, here now working with us, is available to help any of you. Nobody looked up. They're just doodling, couldn't care less. And uh, Margot was asked to say a few words. And when she stepped up, she, um, she said, some of you might be sitting here thinking, what on earth could this person possibly offer me? She said, well, I want to tell you something. She said, uh, prior to coming here to fill this role, I was a chaplain at the Marta Mental Health Unit. And she said, it might surprise you to know, the Holy Spirit just speaking clearly through her at this point, might surprise you to know that uh, most of the people in that unit are not people who have the backside out of their pants. They're not people who are sleeping on the street. They're not people who have even messed up their mind with drugs. It's people like you. People like you who hold very high positions, but for whatever reason have cracked under the pressure of work, of life, of family. At that point, eyes began to lift. And she said, but I don't want to just leave it there. I want you to know that even though I worked in the mental health unit, working with people just like you, who cracked under the pressures of life, she said, I want you to know that I've also been a chaplain in a primary school. And I've connected with children who are children of people just like you. And when people just like you crack under the pressure of life because you can't cope with the, the surroundings that you find yourself in, it's not just you that suffers, but your kids do as well. By this time, they were so focused on what she had to say. She said, my hope here is that I can, in whatever journey you're on, help you get through that without cracking under the pressure. She's been there a couple of years now and she's got some of the biggest guns lining up to see her before she even gets there. They're vying for her attention. She's had grown men weeping. She's dealt with depression. She's dealt with anger. She's dealt with people who are just so over the bad deals that life is serving them, broken marriages, messed up issues, alcohol issues, drug addiction issues, people just trying to escape the pain, but on the appearance, they look okay, but on the inside, they're very broken. She's even dealt with suicide more than once while she's been there. Our world is very, very broken, but I want to say this, that when people have reached their pain threshold... When people get to a point where they're ready to crack under the pressure, where life has just been so cruel or so unfair and has brought so much disappointment and so much letdown, where they're just to the point they're about to crack and before they 
perhaps tip over and, and step off the edge of whatever that might look like to avoid any further pain in their life. They can become very unattractive to people around them. To avoid any further pain in their life, their anger outbursts can cause people to back off. Their frustration, their attitudes, their perspective on life can so repel people who are perhaps not facing what they're facing. And it can be so easy for us to just go, oh, mate, get out of my face. I want nothing to do with you. But what's really happening is that they're screaming on the inside, somebody please help me. When I was early in ministry, I, I was, I was pr- quite a hard preacher. Some of you probably think I still am. But I would get up here and I would spit and I would, I would drive home the word and I would address the issues and I would gun for the throat. I'd go for the juggler. I, you know, I, I was just hard. And one day a guy prophesied over me and said, you have such a desire to see peace in the house of God that anybody that even smells like trouble to you, your sword comes out of its sheath. And he said, it's a good desire and your intentions are good. Your heart is to protect the flock. Your heart is to guard the house of God. And and you have such a desire for peace to be in the family of God that anybody that threatens or even looks like they're going to threaten that, your sword comes out of the sheath. And then he said these life-changing words to me. He said, "You, you see people sometimes come through the doors of your church with a light on their head flashing trouble, 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 trouble. But really what they're saying is help me, help me, help me, help me but they're manifesting their pain in a way that at times can be very unattractive. We had a cat. I love cats. I love cats. But now I can't even pat cats. I've developed an allergy. I was at a pastor's house one night. His cat got on my lap. I'm scratching and all of a sudden my eyes puffed up. They got itchy. My nose ran. And he looked at me. He said, are you okay? I said, I don't know. I'm having a reaction. He said, it's the cat. I said, no, it's not the cat. I'm not allergic to cats. Anyway, they gave me some anti-histamine. That's the one. Fixed it. A couple of minutes later, it started to settle and I was fine. There's no way it's the cat. Then we were in Greece and there are cats everywhere. So I started patting the cats. The same thing happened. So I've got an allergy now to cats that I can't. And I love cats. I just want to hold cats. But we, we had a cat. His name was Wally. Our kids loved Wally. One day there was a knock on the door and this fellow said, have you got a black and white fluffy cat I said yeah we have he said oh it's just been knocked by a car he said it's not dead he said I saw it actually get knocked and it just ran under your house and I wondered if it might have been your cat so I of course put on the police rescue or the ambulance rescue hat and crawled up under the house it was quite a low house so I'm on my stomach the cat's way up the back in the corner and I hate spiders and cobwebs and I was going through all of that finally got to the cat I said oh Wally what's happened And he just looked at me. He didn't even answer. (laughs) I said, Wally, I'm here to help you, mate. So I reached out and I got a hold of Wally. Well, Wally reacted like you would not believe. He ripped skin off my hand, bit, scratched, howled, growled, did everything. Turned into an absolute Siberian tiger, honestly. And I'm back and off and going, Wally, I'm trying to help you. So I'd try again. And the same reaction. The cat was in pain and was manifesting its pain out of this self-preservation. I don't want to feel any more pain. And that's what's happening to people across the world today is that they are so angry. They're so that we can quite quickly write them off rather than go, Holy Spirit, help me 
to reach this person. Open their heart. Give me an inroad. Help me to say the right thing that will just soften them because I know that you're the answer and I can give them you and you will be able to change their life. You know, our cat, eventually I got it out from under the house, blood everywhere, my blood, not his. And he just was bruised and what have you and eventually came good and he was okay. Well, he eventually did come to a sticky end. Um, one day... Uh, Margot rang me and, and uh, I had Joel with me at the time and, and uh, it was when I was running the Subway store and Margot just said, Wally's come home, he's been hit by a car again, this time his eyeball's hanging out. You know, that can happen to cats if they get such a big whack or a shock, their eyes pop. Anyway, one of his eyes had popped and it was hanging out and, and uh, his mouth was just all full of, you know, <laughs> will I keep going? Margot just said, look, I'm going to take Wally to the vet. So she said, I'll get the vet to give you a call when they've done the assessment. I thought, what is this going to cost me? So she goes to the vet. The vet rings me and just says, look, we can take the eyeball out and stitch up the eye. A lot of cats get around with one eye. And so we can just do that. And I said, oh, what's that going to cost me? I think they said about 50 bucks. I said, yeah, okay, I can handle that. And they said, but we don't know if there's internal injuries. And the funny thing was they needed to do a cat scan. (laughs) And I said... Okay, so there might not be internal injury. No, 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 the cat might be fine internally, but we won't know till we do the CAT scan. I said, how much is the CAT scan? They said a million dollars. <laughs> wasn't quite that much, but it was a heck of a lot more than 50 bucks. And I'm on the phone very quietly. Joel's out the back prepping food for me. I said, and he was only about nine or ten. I said, put the cat down. She said, what? I said, put the cat down. She said, but we can save the cat. I said, yeah, but... But the thing is, the CAT scan is going to cost me this much. And then if you find a problem, it's going to be even more on top of that. Is Yeah, but we, we can still save the cat. The cat's not going to die. I said, the cat is going to die. You're going to kill it. You can put it down. She said, well, it's your call. So I hung up the phone. I walked out the back. Joel came around and looked at me and said, Dad, do, do everything you can to save Wally, won't you? <laughs> I looked him back in the eye and I said, Jolie, there's something to tell you. A story of our time. A tragic but inspiring tale of cathood in its prime. It's one more pussy in heaven. It's one more cat in the sky. Wally will never forget you. Oh, but we're going to get by. (laughs) So Wally's in heaven now. The cats go to heaven. Dogs don't, but cats definitely go to heaven. Hey, listen, I'm running out of time. Stop it. (laughs) Let me say this. Wally, Wally was a great cat. Wally manifested his pain by attacking me. You know, people, when they've reached their, their pain threshold to avoid further pain, can become quite attractive to those around them. But listen to me. They can become very attractive to those around them, except to Jesus and his authentic followers. They can become attractive to those around them, but not to Jesus and not to his authentic followers. Those that walk with him, those that talk with him, those that get close to him, those that hear his heartbeat, those that feel his pain for the pain that, that his people, that he created, are suffering and feeling. 
you know, we get close to Jesus. We start to have our heart break for what breaks his. We start to grab his values and his passions and his yearnings and his desires. The closer we walk to him in authentic relationship. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says, If you help the poor, you actually are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. But let me say this, the haves and the have-nots in life, it's not about money. The haves and the have-nots in life are those that have the son and those that do not have the son. Remember, those that have the son have life, the son, S-O-N. Those who do not have the son do not have life. The haves and the have-nots, the poor in life, are those that don't have Jesus, are those that have never found his healing touch, his healing power. You know, and, and I want to tell you something, we are called to be conduits of that healing power. We're called to not just be the great dynamic healing evangelist, seeing legs grow or limbs, uh, you know, grow back or whatever it might be. I think that's just a very small part of it. We're called to bring healing to the human soul. And we bring healing to the human soul by our love for people, by our, our embracing and our caring for people, by when they slap us on one cheek because they're in pain, they, they actually find we turn the other because, hey, I'm not going to walk away from you because I know the answer to your pain. I know the answer to your situation. But do we just, in our church attendance mentality, do we just give token care? Do we just give token compassion? Do we just give token generosity to maybe, well, it's an offering for Newcastle Care. They're doing a good job. and It appeases our conscience because, oh, we'll just give some money to that and therefore we've helped the poor. I think it's way more than that. It's, how, it's being people that have a huge heart for the lost and the broken. And the only way you can really get the heart of God for the lost and the broken is to walk closely with him day by day, to hear his heartbeat, to feel his heartbeat, to sense his heartbeat. And when I said last Sunday, how do you actually love in a supernatural way? It's easy when you walk with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to help us. He's given us a helper. I don't have the natural ability to love somebody that's spitting in my face. And I don't think many people in this room would have that natural ability. But God doesn't just look for our natural ability. He looks for a natural ability that he can put his supernatural ability on so that we can actually be him to those people. You know, I, I think in our, in our church attendance mindset, so many of us are really more about building our own life, our own future, our own homes, our own investment packages, our own retirement plans and all that sort of stuff so that we can be comfortable till we die and go to be with Jesus. I'm saved and I'm okay. Let me tell you something. You cannot take anything with you. You've never seen a hearse with a trailer. The only thing you can take is people. I don't want to be in heaven with regret saying, I wish I could have reached more. I wish I could have had a greater compassion for those who are broken. And, you know, and some of us think, oh, well, unfortunately, I just don't have that compassion. Well, we've got to get it. And we get it from him because he is filled with compassion. His, his mercies are new every morning. And if we get close to him, he'll make our mercies new every morning. He'll make our compassion his compassion and it'll flow out of us and we'll become his hands and his feet you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't really like this movie because it's a very unsettling and a disturbing movie, Schindler's List. 
Oscar Schindler was a German businessman who, who, um, who was very successful. He was a member of the Nazi party. Not many people know that. He was a member of Adolf Hitler's Nazi party, but it was a very successful businessman in Germany when the Holocaust was peaking. And one day in his associations with other members of the Nazi party, SS officers and, and the likes, he was in a good relationship with these guys. He, uh, he visited one of the death camps. And I don't remember why he was there, but as he's walking around the death camp, he uh, was taken to the back blocks where bulldozers were pushing the bodies of Jews who had been gassed over into a ditch ready to bury them. And he's sitting and he's watching and he's, he, you could see on his eyes, he was quite... Uh, shaken by the experience. He had no idea. And what happened was he was so horrified by what Adolf Hitler was really doing that he actually, and this is a short version of the movie. It's a very long movie. And I say, I don't recommend it. It'll upset you. But it's a very, very long movie. And, And what ended up happening was he was a businessman. He began to set up bogus businesses, companies that didn't produce anything, He'd then go to the death camps and connect with his friends who were the ones driving the death camps and he would buy Jews to work in his companies. He'd say, no, don't kill them, I need them. They're Jews, they're scum, Let's, we're, they're here to die. But listen, I can get the best out of them. Kill them after I've finished with them. But just let me buy some, they can work in my factory. I won't cost me anything in labor, I'll make a killing, I might even give you a cut. And so they agreed, they said, well, you go and pick the ones you want. So he would, begin, he would spend his money buying Jews. He'd then go and hide them and pretend that they were working. And he was protecting them because he hated what his own party, the Nazi party, were doing. And at the end of the movie, it's one of the most moving scenes in the movie. He's, uh, he's being honored. The war is over. And he's got 1,100 Jews now coming out of hiding. And they're gathered around him saying, thank you for what you did for us. And in that process, he looks around and he realizes, I've only got 1,100. And he looks at the leader of the Jews, Stern, his name was, looks at him and he said, I could have done more. Stern said, but you did so much. Yes, he said, but I could have done more. He said, I I could have got more out. I could have saved more. And Stern said, it's it's okay. And he began to cry and he said, He said, but I I could have got more. And he looked down at his car and he said, why why did I keep the car? He said, there's 10 more people. I could have sold the car. I could have got 10 more people. And then he's he's starting to break down and Stern's trying to console him. And and then he has a pin on his, he said, this pin, it's gold. He said, two more people. Why did I keep this pin? He said, I could have sold this pin. I could have got two more people out. And And I thought, you know, He was saving God's people. And I think if only we could get the same level of passion about the broken and the loss that Jesus died for. And if only we could allow him to flow through us like he did with Oscar Schindler. And if only we could go, look, I'll only do so much. No, if we could just drive with this passion, we've got to get as many in the kingdom as we possibly get. Because the have-nots are those that don't have the sun. Matt, can you drop the blinds for a second for me? The haves are those with the sun. You know, we have the sun. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. doesn't mean you can go out and save the entire world. What it means is, one, get in the presence of God. Develop a hunger for God. 
Develop a love for the word of God. Get into his presence and ask him, Lord, give me your compassion. Give me your supernatural love. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me feel what you feel. See what you see. Experience what you experience when you look upon this broken community that you've placed me in. And help me to be a conduit that will reach these people. I don't want to get to heaven with regrets like Oscar Schindler and say, I could have done more. I could have done more. There's Vince, my cousin's husband. He's there. There's my uncle Dave. He, he's there. And many of you know the story of me leading them to the Lord on their deathbeds. But what about all the other people in my life? I could have done more. I, I could have done more. Why did I, why did I you know, spend so much time with that? I, there was no way I was going to be able to take that with me. Why didn't I spend more time reaching lost, broken, hurting people? Hope Cafe is one of the greatest avenues for you to get involved in doing that. There's a lot of lost and broken, hurting people coming through the doors of Hope Cafe. It's a great way for you to connect. I don't want to live with regret. I want a huge heart for the lost and the broken, but I want to show you that clip. Turn your eyes to the screen. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's about people. It's not about things. Things are a byproduct. Blessing is a byproduct, but it's about people. Church needs to have a huge heart for people and as I've said it doesn't mean you're the one that has to go right out there into the community that may not be your gifting or your calling your place might be right here in the hospital just serving them lunch helping with the domestic chores perhaps nursing them guiding them counselling them caring for them on their journey and let me challenge you with this one last thought having a huge heart for the lost of the broken has to start in the house if we don't care for the person alongside of us. You know, Paul said that our generosity, that our kindness, that our goodness must begin in the household of faith. Because if we can't do it here, we really can't do it out there. And there are people in our church, maybe sitting right alongside of you, are at various journeys of being made whole. And sometimes they will behave badly. Sometimes they will say the wrong thing. Sometimes their attitude will just rub you up the wrong way. But hey, we've got to have a huge heart for everybody. Just like we want everyone to have a huge heart for us as we're all on our journey of brokenness. Amen. Let's get in the presence of God and let's get a huge heart for the lost and the broken. Amen. God bless you.